Have you seen, uh, I forget the guy's name. I totally could have looked it up while uh, we just had a little break. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's a guy who's like a famous, very skilled pickpocket. I've seen this guy. And he's done a lot of things. He's not that good. On television. No? He's he's a pretty good sleight of hand magician, but he does the same four pickpocket tricks on everybody. Sure. Okay. That's fair. Like I've I've seen his routine. Because I, I was interested in him because I'm a fan of magic. Mm-hmm. And so I went and found a bunch of different YouTube videos of him. And it's always like the same four bits. Mm. Sorry to ruin your fun. No, that makes sense. Like Penn and Teller, for example, have a kajillion different things that they do. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's the like famous video of him on the Today Show or yeah, something. Yeah, like Matt Lauer. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... But the thing that I find fascinating about that, and Penn and Teller do a do a similar thing, like with the cups and ball. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm gonna tell you what I'm yes. gonna do to you, yes. and I'm still gonna do it to you. Yes. Like he walks up to Matt Lauer and he's like, "I'm gonna pickpocket you, yeah. and I'm gonna take your pen and your wallet and your watch." Uh-huh. And then Matt Lauer is like, "What? Okay." And then five seconds later, he he's like got his has wallet and his, his pen and his watch. Yeah. Yeah. But like. It's mind blowing that that's possible mm-hmm. that you can straight up tell somebody like I'm oh, gonna, yeah. I'm going to do these things but I'm still while I'm telling you that I'm still playing you so that you don't mm-hmm. notice. And he's really good at it. Like and 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 his the things he does are he's very good at. Right. He just doesn't do a lot of things. He, I he doesn't have a lot of depth. Yeah. And I think he got the idea of selling himself as a pickpocket because we're fascinated by that idea of a pickpocket. Like it's it's marketing mm-hmm. and being able to do the sort of close up magic and things like that. And he does it's close up magic with very particular props. Right. And misdirection and how to how to make someone focus on different things while you're doing something else. Right. Like how to literally unclasp their watch yeah. without them realizing that. Which is one of the things like I wear a Milanese band. He could not pickpocket this from me because that's outside of his scope mm. because of the way he removes it. It's not something. Yeah. He's not practiced on that specific yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, well, because he one of the things he does, he unclasps it and then he'll flip the hand over. I've watched his videos a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's unclasped. He flips the hand over. You don't notice the weight drop off because it's already loose. Right. And so he can, it'll fall off and he can grab it when, while touching you somewhere else and putting your focus somewhere else. Cause that's a lot of what he does is he'll touch your shoulder while doing something else. So your focus is right. here, not over there. Right. Um, but you can't unclasp this and let it fall off. Right. <laughs> right. It, but it's also, the other thing about that is it's so weird how, um, susceptible your body is. Yes. Right, like in your mind, like those like perceptions, your, your yeah. mind through your body, like the fact that someone can be doing a lot of motion and touching at my wrist, but just because they're doing just the right thing to my body elsewhere, yeah, they're I, focusing you other ways. My brain yeah. won't alert me to the fact that like someone's hand is all over my wrist. Mm-hmm. That's that's so weird to me that your body can be it is hacked that way. Yeah, like there's this vulnerability that yeah. can be exploited. Although it goes further if you want to go into the crazy people doing. Uh, neuro-linguistic programming i don't know what that means it's it's most commonly used by the pickup artist community so you know we're in garbage water already oh. um but it's the idea that uh you can program someone's brain to have certain types of reactions by repeated stimuli um so that you can get certain reactions out of someone where if you, you know, you touch their shoulder and create a positive environment, 
they associate that shoulder touch with the positive thing. Mm-hmm. So the next time you touch their shoulder, they're going to associate you with that positive environment that they remember, and they're going to like you more. Sure. It is it is literally, quote unquote, hacking the person's brain. It's Pavloving somebody. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's all... So that you can date rape them. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't have more, but it's, it's, and it's all bunk science. Like it's not real, mm. but it's the idea of it is what people are sold on. It's a, it's an attractive idea. Yeah. Right. That like, that you can, you can figure out people, how people work so well that you can hack them. Right. Like you're not, you can, it's a workaround, right? Like you yeah. don't actually have to know how people work you don't on, have to like get to know people <laughs> right you don't have to have like a real human level connection. connection with somebody you just figured out how they work so that you can slip underneath yes. that and the, of course the the underpinning assumption there is that women aren't people they are robots to be programmed which is why it's bad <laughs> yeah i mean you just nag them enough and then yeah that's i mean that's that's all of pickup artistry it is follow these steps these rules we have figured out the system for how to unlock the brains of women. And then sex is your reward. Yeah. Ugh. I think I've talked about this on the show. I, <laughs> I tried to be a pickup artist for a week. I, like In college. Genuinely? Like I read the book and then like tried some of the things out. Mm. Did, it, did it work at all for it you? It did not work at all for me. And I felt terrible while I was doing it. And I wasn't, I'll be honest, I wasn't even like the level of feminist that I am now back mm-hmm. then. Like I was, I was a moron back then. I'm well, probably a moron now. If you were anything <laughs> close to a feminist, you probably wouldn't have tried it. Probably. Yeah. But it was, it was all of a week. Like that's as much as I could stand doing any of it. And I, I just, no. It's good. You had a, there was a core inside <laughs> you that was good that felt bad about it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Hmm. What was that? The book was called The Game. Yes. Right? Which is just like still indicative of like oh, yeah. how shitty that the thing is. Yeah. Like it's not. Well, and it's made to look like a Bible. I didn't know that. It is leather bound with gold edged pages. What? So you can like take it with you to a bar? No, but because it's <laughs> it's meant to be like your Bible. Right. Yeah. And of course, the extension of all of this is the red pillars. Yes. Like that's, that's the ultimate end game of all of this. Right. Yes, Which to is, wake up to the true reality of the world yes. where men's rights are being infringed upon. Yeah, and women are have all the control because they won't sex you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you're a shitbag and women don't want to have sex with you... It's not because you're a shitbag. I mean, well, like... you're because r- women are against you and controlling the world. Like, you're right. They are in control of that situation. Yes, it's a little thing called consent. Which is good. <laughs> it's consent. They get to be in control <laughs> yeah. of that situation. Yeah. You can want to have sex with somebody and they don't want to have sex with you and that's the end. Ta-da! But, but Kevin... Yeah. What if you really want to have sex with them? <laughs> You still I can't. don't think you're getting this. Yeah. <laughs> I control the situation. Well, once you have the rules. Yeah. And the, the systems. Once and, I've woken up yeah. to the matrix or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's the literal analogy. Yeah, the, yeah, red pill. And I want, like, part of me, I love the Wachowskis. And I think you know this. They both come out as trans. Yes. And. Which red pillars must love. I mean, well, that's that's the thing that I like. I just, like, they won't. I don't think red pillars can even understand like they have trouble with gender as a concept. <laughs> I think like that's how far removed they are. But I, I love, I love so much 
that like their seminal work of art of like, you know, key cultural touchstone mm-hmm. was written and directed by two trans women. Like that is a like, mwah, like yeah. finger Italian yeah. chef finger kiss. Yeah. Like cherry like, on top. Just, like how badly did you miss everything? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the message you're picking up from this is not the message that you're supposed to be picking yeah, up from you this. You just didn't get it. You're completely misinterpreting the whole thing. Yeah, it's the same people that, that go, yeah, Fight Club's awesome. Oh, God. Oh, oh man. Speaking of open wounds, yeah, Kevin, you I know. are. You are I, I know because you get mad about that one. Oh, Fight Club people. Fight Club bros. What is it? It's Fight Club and... Uh, Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints. Uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah. Tarantino's um, got a real problem with that. People who... And it's... Yeah. It's... God, I don't know. We've, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this. We have. Before. But like... And I'm I'm willing to put a significant amount of blame on the creators. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the Wachowskis are... The Wachowskis know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, yeah. but like, if you can create something that can be so wildly misinterpreted, yeah. like, there's a little bit of blame yeah. for you. Like, the Wachowskis are not responsible for the Red Pill community, <laughs> right? Like, they would have found something else. Far, but like, they're they probably could have presented their ideas in a way that were less misinterpretable. Yeah. Although, um, the Matrix is actually makes more sense when you realize the creators are trans. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. Well, because it's, it's a story of, you know, Neo as the main character living in a world where he is perceived incorrectly. He is not what the world thinks he is. Mm. Um, And even things like, uh, this is all based on analysis I read and you can find the actual people who came up with these ideas. I'm just spouting them out. Um, For example, the agent Smith constantly refers to him as Mr. Anderson. Right which is not the name he wants to be known by. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Like things like yeah. that. Agent Smith, is, <laughs> Agent Smith won't stop dead naming him. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Cause he's Neo. What do have the Wachowskis acknowledged any of like that? I don't think they've specifically commented on that. The Wachowskis aren't a uh, pair of creators that really, work or look backward at their own work. Oh no. They, they create forward. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're always moving on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I put much less blame on the Wachowskis for the matrix misinterpretation than I do for David Fincher and fight club or especially Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like, I don't think Quentin Tarantino. No, I think Quentin Tarantino is part of the problem. Yeah, like he's that like that extreme where like a lot of his stuff is just like violence and mm-hmm. misogyny porn. Yeah, but like David Fincher's not. No, to say I think that. I did, David Fincher screwed up a little bit he's, on that one. He's like trying very hard to say something, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of people are like, "Yeah, I want to hang out in a basement and fight." I want to. I want to punch guys. Rah 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 masculinity. Yeah, like, and David Fincher just completely hit swing and a miss yeah with the message well it's uh is it pose law that no work of satire is so extreme that it can't be believed (laughs) as real by someone yes yes yeah have you (laughs) like that's just a it's yeah and no matter how out there it is someone will think it's real yeah 
And also, like, like uh, that that just made me think of like the Onion and how often oh, yeah. stuff like that is uh, misunderstood, per- perceived yeah. as real news, like on the internet by yeah. people who get all mad about an Onion headline. But then also, like, if you read stuff from the Onion from like five years ago. It's not that satirical anymore, <laughs> right? Like over, over. Yeah, that's more the world's problem, <laughs> right? But like the Onion can't keep up yes. with the world and its satire. Yes, um, which is a whole other problem. Yeah, <laughs> scary and sad. Yeah. Um. Oh, the world. Yeah, satire, satire stuff, but. I read a really interesting article. I don't know if you've seen uh, Quentin Tarantino's probably least well-known work, Death Proof. I haven't seen it. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. It's okay. Uh, it's it's not. It's not Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's not even Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> uh, but it's it's better than Jackie Brown. I think it's pretty solid. But I read a really interesting interpretation of it because it was created um, as part of the Grindhouse double feature. Mm-hmm. With along with Robert Rodriguez making Planet Terror, right? Uh, and Planet Terror was a pretty fun, silly like film in the style of a grindhouse movie. Death Proof was a Quentin Tarantino movie. Which one had Machine Gun Leg Lady? That was Planet Terror. Cool. That one seemed cool. Yeah, it's it's fun and silly and dumb. I'm into and, Machine yeah, Gun Leg Lady. Yeah, it's it's cute. Um. <laughs> uh, the film is cute. I mean, the machine gun leg, I don't know if you're into that. I don't know. Sort of I think thing. she's yeah. pretty cute. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Quentin Tarantino made a Quentin Tarantino movie, not a Grindhouse movie, mm. which is why the film, I think, was not as successful or people didn't think it was as out there as, as that. Yeah. But I read a really funny interpretation of it that was, I mean, a little fan theory-ish, but sort of just another way of reading the film. Because the film is very interesting in that it has got two halves um so the first half of the movie is three young women young attractive women go hang out at a bar and have a bunch of conversations over the course of an evening and end up talking to this guy named stuntman mike (laughs) uh who's played by kirk douglas okay michael douglas none of those names are right those are not the right people douglas kirk that's it yeah stuntman mike uh they talk to stuntman mike and then uh, Stuntman Mike murders them all with his car. Oh, no. Stuntman Mike. He's not a good guy. Uh, but he does it specifically by crashing his car into theirs. Okay. Because his car is death proof. That's the, that's the joke. I get it now. That's the premise. Yep. And then the second half of the film starts at some other point later down the line with a brand new group of three women like having an adventure, you know, talking, having an in conversation. And they meet a guy named Stuntman Mike. Uh, and the premise, or the expectation is, oh, he's going to do this thing again. Like, he's a serial killer. He's going to do this again. Right. Uh, but they turn the tables on him and realize what he's doing and, like, chase him in their car. And it becomes a car chase. And that's, like, the last third of the movie is basically a car chase hmm. where they basically run him off the road and then beat him up and the movie ends. All right. Which is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very weirdly constructed film. Like, yeah. it's not structured in a traditional film way. Like, there's not a plot in the same sort of way that there is and right a lot of times you're spending movies like i wanted to watch car crashes why am i listening to these three women talk <laughs> about things that aren't important uh but the the premise in this article that was really interesting was that quentin tarantino found a movie about a serial killer named stuntman mike who hit people with his car 
but it was only part of the film. And so he recreated the rest of it. And that's what the second half of the movie was with an new cast and a different film stock and whatever. Yeah. And, and turned the tables and made it, you know, a revenge thriller. Hmm. Which is an interesting premise. It's still an okay film. Yeah. That's a solid premise. Like the, 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 the three oh. sections is, mm-hmm. yeah. So I remember, I remember overhearing a conversation with a couple of like bros at work who like, I heard them talking about this movie that like I knew was bad. Like I hadn't <laughs> seen it, but I, I, I knew it was bad. God, I wish I could think of what it was. And I was like, oh yeah, they probably liked it. And then I like, I heard one of them and acknowledged how much he likes it. And then they're like, yeah, it was just like so violent. And like, there was so much like, you know, so much fighting and it was so awesome. And I'm just like, God. is it John Wick too? Yes, that's what it was. Okay, no, no, no. So part of what I said was wrong because I'm sure John. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure John Wick Two is pretty great. Uh, it's it's no John Wick because John. John my, my, so my reading of, of critics who I really like said so John Wick is a is an amazing film. Yeah, John Wick Two is not. Okay, it's John, okay. John Wick is almost a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, John Wick is another great example. It's like a Fight Club. It's a movie where like. If you're a certain kind of man, you'll just be like, look at all those guns. Like, yeah. look at him killing people and getting revenge. And Murder. Like, right? And like, when I watch mm-hmm. it, I can have a pretty base level appreciation of like... The, the, the choreography. The <laughs> violence choreography. But mm-hmm. I'm watching him like shoot people in the head and still cringing. Yeah. Right? Because it's a very violent movie. It is. And a... Like stylized, but still fairly realistic. Mm-hmm. And like, I have a negative reaction to those things, which I think the movie wants you to have. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. But like, what John Wick is a masterpiece in, and at least probably what John Wick Two tried to be. Tried yeah, to be. I haven't seen it, but it is in like the like the the craft of some like of amazing violence choreography mm-hmm. and like a dead simple plot about yeah. like revenge about revenge and grief yeah right like but that's the important other part is like this is a movie about someone grieving Mm -hmm. right if all you see is a movie about a guy who gets mad and so he decides to like shoot a bunch of people shoot a bunch of people because he's mad yeah you're missing the story that's not what that's what the russians and john wick are well i I think i think that's more of what john wick 2 is about and what john wick 2 is missing is that emotional core Mm. Yeah. Well, that would be too bad. Yeah. I'll, I'd still like to watch it because I, mm-hmm. I had I had such a, a joy watching John Wick. But yes, that's that's what it was. I remember hearing overhearing coworkers yeah. talk about just badass. Yeah, man, they just just shot so many people and yeah. It's like, oh, come on, <laughs> come on, go watch Fight Club. I watched. I think I mentioned this before, but I actually got around to watching it the uh, the voiceover free version of Fight Club. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How was it? It's okay. It was interesting. Does it work? I think it does. Uh-huh. Um, so it's funny because they papered in a lot of like music to cover up the VO stuff, right? Uh, and I think it works okay. Um, it's a much more confusing film. Like, there's just so much exposition. Yeah. In the voiceover. Um, that there's a lot of sort of jumping from A to B that doesn't quite make sense. You're like, I'm not sure why I'm here now or what's happening. Because the voiceover does tell you a lot of that. A lot of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think it's pretty good. Hmm. Not perfect, 
but like it's a such an ideal concept for a yeah as a fan of it i really liked it yeah um man um speaking of bros liking stuff yeah um did you listen to s-town i have not finished it yet i've listened to the first three oh okay so i should finish that yes do you like it so far yeah yeah um i I listened to the whole thing and i liked it a good amount okay there was a a lot of a lot of bros at work got real (laughs) excited about it and wouldn't shut up about it for a while and this was after i'd listened to it so over like the course of a couple days i got to listen to like people get like obnoxiously excited about the journey they were on yeah i mean Um, so far it's been a great journey it is a great journey. like i've really enjoyed what i've experienced so far yeah but there's a, again, it was the 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 same kind of people who are, um, liking John Wick for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. who are just like freaking out about S Town, which makes me worry like, worry <laughs> about like what was bad about it that I missed. Yeah. Like, should I be liking should this I, this much? Is, right. is this really bad? Am I missing something? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, how is this like Fight Club? Yeah. Um, but no, I liked I liked it a lot. Uh, it takes a turn. In the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the end of the second episode was certainly one of those. Uh. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give spoilers for it. Yeah. Um. But you, it starts and you're like, oh, murder mystery. Cool. That's certainly like, how it was presented. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I was like, I will listen to a seven episode murder mystery. Yeah. Like crafted the way serial was and by like the mm-hmm. production style was great and yeah. I was into it. And then I was like. Okay, not a murder mystery. Yeah, well, even by the second episode, you're like, oh, this isn't really a murder mystery. Like, this is this right. is going somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if they, like, know where this is going to go now. Yeah, well, or... I, I was pretty sure they did just because they released it all at once. Like, unlike Serial, where they were recording it week at a time. Right. Like, they knew the story they were going to tell. Right. But that was actually part of why Serial was so exciting, because they... You didn't know where it was going, and they didn't know where still, it was going. They were still researching and recording when yeah. it started to get released. Yeah. Um... But yeah, S Town, S Town does like it takes that turn in the beginning, and it the story changes into something totally Very different, different, and it just unfolds into into this really wild, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've story. I've definitely gotten that impression that it's it's going some interesting places. I need to finish it. Yeah, but. you do. Um, I was regardless of like how uh, like how I think it, I have like problems with how I think it was told and like what it tried to do in the production of it and stuff but Mm -hmm. uh in the end like i was very glad to have learned about this guy yeah what was i forget john john something maybe probably let's say john john's a good name mark i don't know (laughs) john sounds more accurate john sounds right but like you know even from the first episode like john's a fascinating dude yeah and by the end of the by the, the end series of the series like you'll know a lot about you were john confirmed john is a fascinating dude learn about him and i was like yeah i spent seven hours learning about how cool this john guy was yeah i'm pretty happy about that yeah so it's a i like that kind of podcast mm-hmm. especially the release all at once format which yeah. is like novel and interesting yeah well it's funny you say novel because they were pattering it after a novel Yes, it's a Southern Gothic gothic novel in podcast yeah, form. Which I'm, I'm down with. Like, that seems cool. Yeah, right. Like, I want people to... It, it kind of... Hopefully, it doesn't stay in the realm of, like, big money public radio folks. Yeah. Because um, obviously, like, it's expensive and took a lot of resources yeah, to produce. Yeah, it took three years to make. But, like, I'd love to see... I want to have podcasts to listen to that are not just 
people two guys in front talking of sitting in front of microphones right and yeah like, there are plenty of podcasts i like that are like that but i'd love i like more creative exploration of the art ways form. to tell stories yeah. that are released via rss feed yeah right like do more interesting things with audio over rss absolutely yeah uh, I want to go back to fan edit stuff for a moment. Yes, please. Uh, so I discovered or rediscovered a film this week, last week, between now and the last time we recorded, uh, that I have I have become fascinated by. Okay. Uh, and it is a film called The Thief and the Cobbler. And it, it is an animated movie that took 30 years to make and is still considered unfinished. Huh. Uh, and... It was the the chi- creative child of an animator. I want to say his name's Roger R- Williams, but I'm probably wrong on that. But uh, he was the primary animator, uh, and what again famous for was the prim- as the primary animator for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, um, you've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I actually haven't. You needed to watch it. It is, and, and like I know, I say that about a lot of things, <laughs> but no, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of the most technically magnificent films of all time. It's like an animation masterpiece, right? It is. Well, it's not just animation matter. It's it is a filmmaking masterpiece. Okay. Um, you know the premise of it a little bit. I don't think I do. Like I know plenty about it just because like it's the visual imagery of it. It is. is it is cartoons and people live in the same world. Right. Okay. That's that's enough to to know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Um, Bob Hoskins is the main character and he's an amazing actor. Uh, and then he went on to play Mario Mario in the more Super Mario Brothers movie, which is just, I love, I love <laughs> Bob Hoskins, an award-winning Shakespearean actor played Mario Mario in Super Mario Brothers and was amazing. And he hates that film and it's okay because he was amazing. <laughs> so I love that movie. It's terrible. I love it. Anyway, oh my God. Friend Roger Rabbit uh, came out in the 80s. Yeah, sounds right. And um, was a masterpiece of animation uh, because for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that it, they filmed all of the live action stuff and then animated all the, uh, the cartoons. Okay. Um, and so they couldn't do reshoots. They couldn't fix things. They had to work around whatever the footage was. Mm. Um, but there were lots of mechanical things. Like there's a, there's a scene where, and it's this, this beautiful, like just little touches. Uh, Roger Rabbit the main cartoon character gets dunked in a sink full of water and he pops back up and he spits out the water mm-hmm. and the water is real and the water he spits out is real. It is not toon water. It is not a cartoon. But it comes out of his cartoon mouth. It comes out of his cartoon mouth as if he was a cartoon interacting with the real world. Mm-hmm. And the film has thousands of these little touches. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's another scene where the, a lamp gets bumped and so it's like spinning and the shadows on the cartoons faces react to the spinning lamp. That's a real world lamp, like just these marvels of technical animation. Hmm. And it's all hand-drawn. It's pre CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all hand-drawn animation It's just unbelievable. And the guy who did it, like the, this guy whose name I don't remember, uh, won two Oscars, like one for technical achievement and a special Oscar they made up just for him for this movie <laughs> because it was that amazing. Nice. And it still holds up incredibly well. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is a perfect film. Uh, and the animation is really good. Like the, the plot of it is really good, but the, just the technical achievement is unbelievable. So we had this film that he'd been working on for at least 15 years by this point. 
that had been under a number of different names and had changed a couple times and was almost all hand animated by him. Like he was most of the time doing all of the drawing himself. Okay. Um, but really trying to push the boundaries of what animation could be. And when he, when Roger Rabbit was such a success, Warner brothers was like, cool, finish your movie. And it took like four years and he didn't finish it. Even with all the money and, and tools and every, and people animators they gave him, he couldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. And so the movie went into receivership. They sold it to the creditors who then hired a different director to like finish it and churn out something so they could release it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the movie they churned out was eventually like the plot was rewritten. The, they added a bunch of like poorly animated scenes. They added songs. Um, and it was released as a film called the thief and the, or excuse me, the, the thief and the princess or the cobbler and the princess princess and the cobbler was princess and the cobbler. The original film is called the thief and the cobbler. Mm hmm. Um, and they added a bunch of music and songs and it's not very good. And it looks like a ripoff of Aladdin, which came out like a few months before. Mm, okay. Now it turns out Aladdin was probably a ripoff of the thief and the cobbler. Sure. Because he'd been working on it for many, many years. And some of the animators who he worked with went and left and went and worked for Disney. And that's where Aladdin came out of. And hmm. Is that an original story anyway? Aladdin? Yeah. Well, Aladdin's a story from the Arabian Nights. Right. So it's not an original story. But, but the, like, if you look at, like, the villain of Thief and the Cobbler and you look at Jafar, they look very similar. Okay. Like, the king and, and Jasmine's dad look very similar. Like, it's like not a coincidence that those two things came out at the same time. Yeah. yeah. But the Thief and the Cobbler had been worked on for decades, and, and Aladdin was the quote-unquote cheap ripoff. Mm-hmm. But it came out first. They rushed it into production and got it out before he was able to finish anything. And so they hired this other director and brought him in and he finished it. And uh, it got released in the U.S. as as under the title Arabian Night. <laughs> the like most boring name for a film ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two main characters, the thief and the cobbler, in the original cut do not speak. They are entirely silent characters. Interesting. Because it's a movie about animation and action and not people talking. And they got around this basically in the recut version the the, the other director did by basically giving both the thief and the cobbler like a ton of voiceover like inner monologue stuff. Um the main the thief they actually animated him speaking for a couple or excuse me, the cobbler they, whose name is Tack. Um they had him animated speaking a little bit. Mm-hmm. The thief, they didn't even do that. They just put like Jonathan Winters voiceover artist and were like, here's a bunch of funny lines. You can say, say all these things just like you're running monologue in your head of this character. That's so weird. Um, and, and it was poorly received. It was thought to be like a cheap Aladdin ripoff. That's what it looked like. Cause it came out afterwards and they rushed it into production. Right. And, uh, so here's the weird thing. I remember the trailers for this film. Really? Yes. Like I remember the Arabian night trailer coming out and I remember seeing like behind the scenes featurettes about it, like on the Disney channel or some other sort of kids friendly channel where they're like, here's how a movie gets made. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, Matthew Broderick, who voiced the cobbler in the version where he has a voice. Okay. Um, and I'm with the character's name's tack and he, literally has a tack sticking out of his mouth the whole time because he's a cobbler as if he had something in his mouth and that's like yeah yeah uh, but, I, <laughs> but that stuck in my head for many years and i couldn't remember what that was but i got 
pointed in this direction by some other YouTube video that like mentioned in passing that Aladdin was a cheap ripoff of this other movie. Um, but someone on the internet has basically gone and found as much footage as possible and recut and tried to make the original version of this film. And it's called the thief and the cobbler recobbled. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's like, it's not a director's cut because the director, we don't know specifically what he wanted. Sure. But basically doing you know, cutting out the voiceover using bootleg copies from like Japan, uh, where it was released with much fewer additions. They found some 35 millimeter prints of the stuff so they can recut it. And they went and did like digital wow. photoshopping out like the grain and the sand and the grit, um, and made a really very nice, as good as possible production of it. Some of it is using like animatics and storyboards because that's all that exists. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. I was really fascinated and, and really some outrageous C not CGI hand-drawn animation that you would have thought was CGI, like big sweeping camera movements, following people around as they move. Mm. Like the sort of stuff that we do with CGI now because you can have a camera filming everything. Because it's trivial to move a camera around an environment in CGI. Yeah. And it's so hard. Yeah, but he had to basically drawn. figure out how to do all that for Roger Rabbit and was able to put that into this purely animated film. Right. It was really good. I like it. The thing that's amazing to me is that compare that to like the the most popular like film fan edit that I can think of is like Harmy's Despecialized. Yeah. Right? yeah. It makes sense why someone like I can understand Harmy's Despecialized mm -hmm. because Star Wars is like the most it's very famous popular thing. <laughs> yeah. Um and it it totally makes sense to me why someone would like dedicate a huge amount of their life and tons and tons of resources to seeking out sources and restoring mm -hmm. and, and trying to recreate and, and trying to recreate and spend doing all this work to, to put this together. Yeah. But I've never heard of this thing. Most people haven't. Right. Most people it's yeah. And I'm not like the odd one out. Like mm -mm. this is not a popular thing. This no. isn't something that is not important to pop culture yeah. in a meaningful way. Um, like it has interesting connections. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's, it's not something that like people are clamoring yeah. for. Like there was, outcry for the unoriginal cut of star wars mm -hmm. right so harmy made it is responding yeah. to that partially yeah. um but this is just like a thing a very small amount of people are really into it's a lost masterpiece and someone is so <laughs> into it that they're doing the same yeah. amount of work the same amount of research and sourcing and yeah. restoration to put together this movie i've never heard of before in my life yeah like that's amazing. It's a good like, looking film, though. Like I, I, I'm so fascinated by obsession, mm -hmm. especially when it's not about something as popular as Star Wars. Obsession's fascinating, yeah. Right, but like, there's plenty of people obsessed with Star Wars. There's yes. like ten people obsessed <laughs> with the Thief and the Cobbler. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's cool. It's really neat. Hmm. Did you ever watch Room Thirty Seven? No. It's a documentary about The Shining, except it was not about The Shining. It was about. It was about theories I'm, about The Shining. Yes, I've I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of The Shining. I really mm -hmm. like it, and I I'm a, I was aware that there's lots of weird conspiracy theories about it, but I didn't watch the yeah, didn't watch the documentary. Um, I I tried to watch it expecting to learn about The Shining, and I got mad because you learn about people obsessed with The Shining. Yeah, well, it's it's the movie is not kind to its subjects. Ah, um, and I don't, I, and it is not kind to them in the way that it, 
it just lets them talk. Oh, okay. It just lets them go. So um, there's no like telling their of uh, their story for them or like no. editing their story and no. Um, and and so it is. It is about obsessives and these people who take these things way too literally. Yeah. Um, and it it really reminded me of um what people think film criticism is and and in kind of connection with like what people think dramaturgy is okay um where they think absolutely every little tiny thing has some huge deeper meaning mm-hmm. when that is typically not the case right like they can inform readings of it but you have to like there is one of them one of the the whole theories is like based on the fact that there's a poster of a guy skiing in the background and he's in kind of that skier's crouch you know that skiers do yeah it's called um, the skier's crouch yeah <laughs> and it's kind of blurry and out of focus cuz it's in the background and this theorist i almost said critic but i think that's doing them too much service this theorist <laughs> is convinced that that is a minotaur. Huh. And they then spin out this entire like myth about what the movie means. Because there's a connection with the labyrinth. Because there's a minotaur in this one scene. But it's a skier. But it's a skier. And she goes, I know it's supposed to be a skier, but it's actually a minotaur. Like, because if you squint, it can look like a yeah. minotaur. Yeah, and that's this, so it's all these like secret hidden messages that Stanley Kubrick encoded in his film. Right. Um, or the fact that there are some cans in the pantry that have a Native American, stereotypical Native American like headdress person on it, on them. And at the beginning of the film, all those cans are aligned. And so they all, you know, they're all facing the same way and you can see them all very clearly. But then later they've all been turned around and mixed. And so it's like chaotic. And that's why it's about, the film is secretly about, um, the American genocide of the Native Americans. Oh, yeah. I definitely got that when I watched The Shining, the horror movie about a murderer in a hotel. Yeah. Interesting. So, I love this. I, conspiracy theories are so stupid. And so, like, to, for some reason to me, conspiracy theories are so obviously like little, like, like eels that attach to your brain and like, you know what I mean? Like it, they don't, they don't get me yeah. at all because yeah. when you tell me about this can thing and these, these are two things that I, I've never noticed or heard of when I've seen the shining, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, right. <laughs> but like you tell me about this can thing. And what yeah. I, what I would see is like the production designer or whoever was mm-hmm. like responsible for these cans building the set. Yeah. Those were shot at different times, and one time they were placed on the shelf lined up, and the other time they were placed on the shelf not lined up. Yeah, because that's how movies get made. Right? Like, they were they were just cans put on a shelf. Yeah. And it wasn't done perfectly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, And the other thing... At, at best, it's a continuity error. Right, yeah. It's... <laughs> But it like you couldn't even call that a continuity error because they're just cans on a shelf. Yeah, right. <laughs> like a continuity error is like oh, like her glove is a different color. Yeah, what you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but then like the Minotaur thing is just you already know there's a labyrinth in the movie, uh-huh. so you're 
And if you're if you have a brain that wants conspiracy theories, you're looking for ways to connect something else to a Minotaur. Yeah. So you see a blurry out of focus crouched skier in the background and you think, That could be a Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Look, a connection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But some people can't their brains can't see how those connections work backwards. They only see themselves making them mm-hmm. in a like in a forwards arrows they don't yeah. see that they're building this backwards in their own heads before it's presented to themselves mm-hmm. forward wise but yeah. i mean like i get it like if you're gonna obsess about a movie like stanley kubrick ones definitely invite it mm-hmm. because he is such a perfectionist yeah and more than most people every detail is intentional mm-hmm. so if you see cans aligned differently from one shot to the next like it must mean something. But like it it wouldn't be that surprising if Stanley Kubrick did do that intentionally because he does tiny details mm-hmm. intentionally. But also the movie But not everything can have meaning. Right. Like the movie's not about the genocide of Native Americans. Yeah. It's not about like it just isn't. Yeah. Well the <laughs> other the other theory is the uh the the, the most well known theory about the shining. Uh, ties into another conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. which is that The Shining is Stanley Kubrick's admission that he faked the moon landings. Cool. Wow. How does that work? It's complex, and I don't remember all of the details. But it, the things that hinge that like hinge on it are things like uh, Danny wearing an Apollo Eleven sweater and standing up in one scene. So he's sitting down wearing the sweater and then he stands up and that's like the rocket taking off. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And that's, and that means Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. Like I'm aware that Stanley Kubrick apparently faked the moon landing. I, yeah. like, I knew I, I was, aware you've heard of that, of that, that, yeah. that conspiracy, but I didn't know the shining admitted it. Yeah. The shining is his admission of guilt because he felt bad about faking the moon landing. I don't think Stanley Kubrick's ever felt bad about anything. <laughs> For one. Let's Not even eyes there. wide shut. <laughs> I think a lot of bad feelings went into the creation of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love Stanley Kubrick, man, but eyes wide shut really did a number on me. I haven't seen it. If you're looking to be... Uh, if you're looking to think that your sex life is super normal... <laughs> Watch Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Um, a lot of weird sex in that movie. Yeah. Um, Give you. No, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> I was, I was going to make a really, a really tasteless joke. And I just, I'm just going to skip it. Good. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, there, my, <laughs> I heard, you know, I've heard a classic joke that, you know, NASA asked Stanley Kubrick to fake the moon landing for them mm-hmm. but he's such a perfectionist that he had them actually do it on the moon that's that seems i mean that's that's a good joke like yeah. that's that plays into our my knowledge of stanley kubrick in such a way that it's humorous yeah mm-hmm. it's good um <laughs> i saw uh actually this, this was interesting at at melanie's house they have an old poster for 2001 okay and it's uh, the poster. It's an image of like two of the guys in astronaut suits, like standing on the surface of the moon, and you can see like the lunar colony behind them, mm-hmm. and the like the title at the bottom, mm-hmm. and the tagline at the top is like in 
It's like in the 21st century, like humans are living on the moon. And I'm like, that's not selling this movie very well. (laughs) (laughs) What tagline would you create for 2001 A Space Odyssey? Like, don't follow black (laughs) prisms into space or drugs will happen. (laughs) Right? Like, It's a pretty good tagline. (laughs) But like, in 2001, there are people living on the moon. But that's like, not the point at all yeah but 2001 is a hard to market movie (laughs) true but it could just be like in 2001 and like in the 21st century people are in space like this made it sound like some like drama about people living on the moon and it's about like the cold interminable death that awaits us all is more my reading of 2001 that's a good way to sell a movie 2001 the 21st century (laughs) cold inevitable death waits for us all in space also video conferencing that's pretty cool also video conferencing (laughs) (laughs) i um i watched 2001 uh a couple months ago and it's it's one of my favorite movies and i consider it like Oh God! Wait, what are our categories again? It's like one of the best yeah, movies. Yeah, the best movies, perfect films, your favorite movies. Yeah, it's one of the best movies I okay. think. Okay, um, and I also really enjoy it. Yeah, because um, I do. I'm, I do not because I'm prone to like things that are best. Yeah. Um, but I, I watched it a couple months ago, and I don't know if I was just like tired in general or something, but. Oh boy, it felt long this time. Yeah, it's a long, boring it's, movie. But every other time I've seen it, I'm like riveted because it's beautiful. Yeah, and it like it's it. I mean, that's it. Like it's just a beautiful movie. It's mm-hmm. incredible to watch. And usually I'm like captivated by that. And this time I was just like, "Yep, you're still dollying down the hallway." <laughs> cool. You know, what, uh, you know what movie that you probably have not seen, but I I feel was meant to invoke a similar response and was poorly received or mm-hmm. is poorly received by its fandom still, mm-hmm. uh, unless you watch it through this prism, is Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> Not even a joke. Really? Yeah, Star Trek The Motion Picture has that same deliberate slowness that 2001 has and mm. and arguably deals with similar uh, scope of issues. Yeah, um, yeah video conferencing. Video conferencing. <laughs> Um, greater than human intelligences Mm -hmm. man's place in the universe Mm -hmm. like those are things that star trek the motion picture deals with but it also has really long arguably boring shots of like the enterprise coming out of its dock and if viewed as like a star trek movie is kind of like but if you view it in the same lens as 2001 is pretty strong yeah like that's not that doesn't seem to be star trek's style yeah to like obsess over the like cold austerity of it Mm -hmm. right it's about star trekers is like stories about people yeah right 2001 is stories about emptiness the inevitable death and coldness (laughs) right (laughs) um yeah i mean like i'm a i'm a sucker for it like you like give me a perfect like a perfectly centered shot of uh nice hallway Kubrick does like those perfectly centered shots okay no here's the problem though is sometimes they're not (laughs) (laughs) okay I was at um some this can drive me nuts I was at a uh I was at I forget the name of the gallery it's like it's like the contemporary art museum that's attached to UT here in Austin Blanton 
The Plankton Museum of Art? Not that one. Okay, then I don't know. But they had this this one exhibit, and it was just a video, right? This person yeah. did this video in um, uh, Galveston. Mm-hmm. There's a big tower in Galveston. Like There's like one skyscraper in Galveston. Okay. And they did a drone shot hovering above the tower. Okay. And then the drone falls down the side of the tower. That's cool. And But then there's like a CG blend between being above the tower and then yeah. merging into a camera mounted on a steady cam on a truck okay and then it just drives down some streets in galveston that's cool except you're watching it upside down that's really cool when like it, I, I like this idea right yeah. like when it attaches to the truck you're viewing the street upside down and all the buildings are sticking okay down that's that sounds like a neat video right, to like watch it's, it's very yeah. visually interesting and yeah. it's like whoa like cities look like this right yeah it's it, it, it was very cool because you do this like flip yeah it's a perception and, and yeah down. um Blaylock? Is that the? Sorry, I'm trying to think of the the, mu- the museum name. I don't know. I probably won't recognize it anyway. Cool. Um, but the flip from being above the building and then mm-hmm. traveling down the length of the building is CGI. Okay. Right, because they couldn't like fly a drone perfectly and yeah, flip. That's valid. You know what I mean? And then attach it to a truck. Yeah. Right? So there's a CGI blend in there, and um, it's very slow. And the thing that drives me absolutely crazy, especially especially because it's CGI mm-hmm. is you could perfectly center that and make it perfectly level and right like even if like even if you're doing it in a real camera yeah. and you like miss the center a little bit mm-hmm. you just crop it yeah because obviously you're trying yeah right like you're trying to you're make real it close. perfectly centered and like you it it's just like a centimeter off <laughs> and it drives me nuts and I don't like I I can't fathom like maybe it's an intentional decision to be like just a little imperfect yeah. right but when you're that you. close just <laughs> center it like just make it centered and like there's plenty of like film styles that aren't trying that at all like yeah. you get like shaky cam action sequences yeah. and there's not supposed to be any lining up of anything thanks the born identity right um but like even like the two people who I think do this the most are like Kubrick and Fincher. Right, yeah. my like examples of people who do really, really carefully deliberate, deliberate, yeah. centered, level shots that mm-hmm. like perfectly symmetrically frame things, but every once in a while they're a little bit off. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You you probably don't watch these I, movies. I probably don't watch them enough to, to notice. notice those things because I'm I'm. It's funny. I'm bad at noticing like framing and shots, I'm much better at noticing important things. Uh, well, well, I would say structural elements, like how the way things are, the story is structured and right. created is much more fascinating to me than the way it is shot. But it's almost like a worse sin for something like 2001 because so much of what's going on is just really sparse shots yeah. that are perfectly framed Mm -hmm. right and it's screaming at you how perfectly framed they are like which is probably why i don't like 2001 as much because i don't care about the visuals (laughs) but like there's a there's shots in 2001 that are like um it's like earth like the the curvature of the earth and then the curvature of the moon and then the curvature of the sun and they're supposed to be like perfectly lined up Uh except like in one of those shots like they're not perfectly lined up (laughs) Like there's a, just a little bit of skewedness yeah. to them, and I, if that's intentional, which is the only thing that actually makes sense to yeah. me, 
that's crazy. <laughs> like, just make it look perfect. Don't make it a little bit askew. That's a worse artistic decision. <laughs> but if it's not intentional, that, like, severely damages the reputation of Stanley Kubrick in my mind as a, like, perfectionist. hardcore perfectionist yeah. who is demanding and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because if he can't take a not even an in-camera shot like he's not actually <laughs> filming the planets like that like that's not cgi but it's a special effect if you yeah. can't perfectly line up a special effect shot you're not that much of a perfectionist <laughs> you know what i mean like i um how much perfectionist could you possibly be like sometimes i post like i post a post a photo to instagram yes right i follow you on instagram that's the thing i've done before and sometimes i want those photos to be perfectly level yeah right because sometimes i take out my phone camera and it, i hit i take a photo and the horizon's not perfectly straight yeah so i open the little tool that lets you and perfectly lets you straight in the horizon yeah and i make sure that if i want my <laughs> horizon to be perfectly straight that it is that it's perfectly straight yeah right and it's not a tiny bit off because i just like wasn't paying attention <laughs> enough it's perfectly straight it's perfect and i feel like Goddamn Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Can't make it perfect. Could have done that. And like a lot of the shots are. Like a yeah. lot of oh, them yeah. are perfect. Some of them aren't. Yeah. Do you do you follow the uh the Twitter account One Perfect Shot? I don't, but I see it yeah. retweeted a lot, yeah. which is enough. Yeah, you know, uh Neil owns that. Yes. Yeah, and I followed one perfect shot for a while, but there was just too many shots on it. <laughs> <laughs> like it was clogging up my Twitter feed. Yeah, it's there's a there's Twitter accounts like that mm -hmm. that I have followed in the past because they're really interesting and I want to see yeah. th what they do, but they're too high volume, so I rely on other people to retweet to show you, yeah, to, the although, best of them. Now there's a lot of um, like people make using that as a joke where they will take a picture of something and like tag it like David Fincher the game. <laughs> 2001 hashtag one perfect shot that's clearly like just a picture of a bird somebody took <laughs> yeah so if you, if you go look at like the hashtag one perfect shot there's like a lot of the actual stuff but then there's also people like just using just a bunch a of joke. bad photos yeah that's hilarious uh it's it's a pretty good joke so right? like take a photo of my kitchen and yeah. one perfect shot yeah stanley kubrick 2001 space odyssey i will say um have you seen oh man okay have you you seen uh panic room I haven't. David Fincher's? I haven't. I need to. That's old Fincher. It is. And it's been on my list for a while. So I've seen most... I've, I've seen the Fincher movies I want to see. So I've... <laughs> I, I say that in a weird way. Like, I've seen Zodiac. I've seen Seven. I've seen The Game. Uh -huh. I think all those are really good films. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Panic Room because I remember when Panic Room came out and everyone was like, this isn't a very good movie. And that's been stuck in my head forever, even though I know it's a David Fincher film mm -hmm. and should know better. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. But there's the there's the famous CGI tour through the house. Yes. Yes. Um, which you've probably seen before. Yes. And that's where, like, this is the counter argument to what I was saying about perfection, where, yeah. like, that shot is too perfect. <laughs> right? The camera the camera movements are perfect. too yeah. exact. Yeah. They're too mechanical. They, even if that was a real shot, which you might be able to do as a real shot today with like arm, like yeah. ro like robot arms and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's or some like, impractical things of, of it like goes through a keyhole. Yeah. Whatever, right. Yeah. But like ignoring that, but like the perfections of the camera movements yes. through the space look fake because they are fake. Yes. But even if a real camera did that, it would look fake. Yes. Because they're too perfect. Yes. And so there is, I guess there probably is a, a gray 
boundary line mm-hmm. where there has to be something that looks like a human is operating it yeah. for it to be not jarring. It's almost an uncanny, un- uncanny valley sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there was... Uh, did you... Are you a fan of Kendrick Lamar, the rapper? I have listened to Coloring Book because you are a fan of him. That's the other guy. Um, <laughs> That's Chance the Rapper. Butterfly was was Kendrick Lamar. Yes. Okay, I haven't listened to it. I, I, I listened to like three tracks on Damn, his latest album. Cool. But that's that's as much knowledge of Kendrick Lamar. And I did it while I was working on other stuff, so I wasn't even paying attention. Okay. It's a great album. You should listen to the whole I, thing. I believe that. I've heard that. Uh, DNA and Humble are particularly great songs. Okay. Um, but he released a video for Humble. Okay. And um, it's a very strange music video. There's a lot of really unnerving, disorienting, jarring imagery in it. Okay. Um, but there's one thing in particular that was really, really interesting to me. It's a shot of, it's like Kendrick is standing there and there's like, just a group of people kind of like flanking him around him. Mm-hmm. Right? He's just like standing there rapping with his arms crossed in front of him. And he's okay. like, he looks like they're under like some highway overpass or something. Okay. Just like a nice looking background. Yeah. Um, and the camera has like, like his head is like the focal point of the shot. Okay. And then every couple seconds, it looks like a panic room CGI fake camera movement that like, whirls around to like this new like really strange angle but like is still keeping his head like centered and like focal pointed okay and then a couple seconds later it like like swoops back and like comes around for another angle yeah it does that a couple times and it looks so weird yeah it's like um have you seen when people when you have a video of someone who's holding like a GoPro on a selfie stick. Yes, that's exactly what I'm picturing right now. And, it's, and they like swoop it and it, or, yeah. or when it's like fixed, it's on like a fixed point. And so yeah. like their head like never leaves the center. Yeah. But everything else around them is moving in this yes. really strange so They've way. got the GoPro attached to their head yes. and it's perfectly pointed at them, but the whole world moving around yes. it. Yeah. So there's an element of that in this music video and in, in these, in the shot. Um, and I thought it was fake or like there was some CGI doing blending from yeah. shot one shot to another. But what it actually is, is, um, you know, those big giant robot arms that build cars and factories. Yeah. It's like one of those with a camera. on. Oh, it. that's really fascinating. So, and, it's, and it's intentionally focusing on him. Right. And so it's a, it has, it's this big, like six, seven foot tall robot arm. Yeah. And you just give the head of it coordinates to and you hit. say focus on that and it yeah and so it goes like from you give it starting point and yeah. ending point on a three-dimensional plane yeah or three, three-dimensional space and it makes a perfectly smoothly accelerated motion from a to b while keeping the camera pointed at, at the, the same at the correct board. thing yeah and it and it's so fast like that's yeah. the thing is it does it does like a couple feet in like less than a second mm-hmm. while perfectly pulling focus and yeah. perfectly pointing in the Doing right direction. And it looks so fake because a human could it's never too do real. that. Yeah. Um, and it all adds up to this like really disorienting, jarring experience sure. watching this video. Cause you're like, what is going on? It's, yeah. It's really, it reminds weird. me weirdly of you saw Birdman, right? Yes. Some of the camera movements in Birdman really bothered me. Really? Yeah. And, and typically it was the ones that were to me anyway, very clearly cuts. Right. Like some of the whip pans and similar, like very, 
unless you know to look for them, very subtle cuts. Right. But you um, got to do something weird with the camera in order to get the cuts in there. Yeah. Did you know someone else made a movie like that decades before Birdman, where it was created to be all one continuous cut, but wasn't actually? No, really? Yeah. And that man was Alfred Hitchcock. What movie? It's a film called Rope. The Birds? Yes. <laughs> That'd be funny. That would be funny. <laughs> um, no, uh, Rope is a film that he made. Uh, it was his first color film. And uh, he wanted to... He, so it's based on a stage play. And he wanted to shoot it like a stage play as one continuous uh-huh. shot. Yeah. Uh, but still with camera movements and things moving around. Uh, but the cameras at the time could not hold more than 10 minutes of film. Okay. Uh, and so he had to figure out a way to make it look like there were no cuts. Yeah. Uh, and he did it in what was probably the best way at the time, but is now super obvious. <laughs> um, is basically he would pan over like somebody's back. Right. And so it would like cut to black and then you'd pan back out yeah. from that same position. Um, but yeah, that was like a 1950 something movie that he made. Wow, really? Um, yeah, it's a pretty good film. In in a way, that technique is like still kind of like the most realistic. Yeah. Right? Because aside from the the timing limitation, yeah. like you are doing it in one shot. Like you're not doing anything impossible with the camera. Yes. Right? Um yeah, you just fill the whole thing with something black and then Yeah. yeah and then and cut, cut and then continue. Um I almost think something like uh like gravity works better than something like Birdman. Um, because you know it's fake because you know it's fake but it's also something the human eye's never seen yeah right like i'm birdman is a bunch of people in hallways and rooms yes and so when there's weird camera things going on that are to hide cuts i'm like that didn't <sighs> seem right but yeah. like gravity is like someone flying around in the void of space and mm-hmm. you're hiding cuts with that and so it's there's not a lot of suspension of disbelief with yeah 30 minutes or whatever gravity was of just someone floating around in yeah, space. Although I wish gravity was a good movie. Sure. <laughs> but at least I wish, I wish Birdman was a good movie. <laughs> Neither one of them held up well in my mind. They're both concepts. Yeah. That like I enjoyed watching. I enjoyed watching Birdman more than I enjoyed watching Gravity. I saw Gravity in theaters, which was like a pretty intense experience. That's the way I, I saw it in theaters, and it's it's best seen in theaters. Yeah, I think it's true of Birdman as well, but uh, I don't have any desire to rewatch either of them. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember watching Gravity and being like, "Oh, space seems terrifying." Yeah, <laughs> space does seem terrifying in a much less subtle way than two thousand one. Yeah, <laughs> space is terrifying two thousand one also, but different. Yeah. Oh, space is terrifying. Yeah. Still go to space. I'd, I'd go to space. I would really like to go to space. That is, uh, not that I, I should have a, I have a bucket list, but if I had a bucket list, going to space would be on it. Yeah. That That's like the number one. Ooh, wait, would you rather go to space or like dinosaurs? Space. Yeah? Yeah. How about you? Dinosaurs or space? Man. Um... I think space. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to like rationalize this Mm -hmm. and say dinosaurs, because if I could have like a magic wish, I'd say dinosaurs dinosaurs. because then like maybe there's still a chance to go to space. Real life (laughs) could take me to space. Yeah. But like space would probably be the better experience. Yeah. 
What if I told you you could have both? Through the magic of fiction and a little book called Space Raptor Butt Invasion. That's the... Uh, by Hugo-nominated author Chuck Tingle. That's the uh, dinosaur erotica yeah. in space. Yeah. I mean, the magic of fiction is just like real life. Yeah. I would like to have dinosaurs having sex in space. Is that what happens? Yeah. Do, well, it's one dinosaur and one dude. They have sex with each other. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It's an astronaut in space and he meets a dinosaur in space and they have sex. I don't know if I'd want to have sex with a dinosaur in space or anywhere. Well, I mean, I mean th- that comes up in the book, but, but it's just too overpowering. They just fall madly in sex. I was going to say, like, if it was just me and a dinosaur, though. Yeah. I'm not going to rule out that I'd fall in love with it. Yeah. I mean, it's basically the premise of that new Chris Pratt movie that came out a while ago. <laughs> Passengers? Because Jennifer Lawrence is a dinosaur? <laughs> well, you know, because uh, Chris Pratt becomes obsessed with her and uh, intentionally wakes her up and pretends that it was a malfunction because he fell in love with a picture of her. And forces her to basically fall in love with him because she doesn't have any other options. Is he a red pillar? That sounds uh, like a red pill. Thing basically, yeah. yeah. It, it, I don't know if you've read, but like the movie has got some serious problems. I've heard it's. I've heard it's bad. Yeah. Even when uh, the first trailer came out and everyone was like, "Whoa, space!" I was like, mm, "Not this kind of space yeah. movie." Well, and because the the premise is is not that they both had a malfunctioning thing and they wake up. It's no, he had a malfunctioning thing and woke up, and then fell in love with a video of this woman. And basically wakes her up so he has someone to, like, have sex with. Yeah. And dooms her to die in space because she won't live long enough to get to the end, which she would have had he not woken her up in space. And it's sold as a love story. True love. Yeah. Man. I didn't watch it. I just read all the bad reviews. Oh, God. That is uh, very upsetting to me. I wasn't planning on watching it, and now I'm definitely not planning yeah, on watching it. I wouldn't. Um. I do like I do completely understand the like if it was both people malfunctioning like mm-hmm. okay you can make that into a thing you're gonna fall in love yeah like it's what else are you gonna there's do there's almost no pairing of two people in the world who wouldn't fall in love if they were the only people alive in space on a ship for a hundred years yeah like what else are you gonna do right like it's your only human companion all your emotional output yeah. is being directed towards one person you're gonna probably gonna happen but uh falling in love with the video and then uh waking them up and killing them yeah it's a bad choice it's a bad move speaking of dinosaurs mm-hmm. you know who else lived a long time ago and is now extinct this is a this is a real hard transition but i'm gonna make it anyway okay go for it mastodons Yes, those are those large animals that mm-hmm. look like elephants. Furry. Elephants, yes. Um, you know what else is called Mastodon? The new social media. Have you used it? I use it. You uh, do use I it. I use it. Interesting. Uh, I I like it because it reminds me of early Twitter. Ah, early Twitter when yeah. uh, Kevin Rose and someone else had a race. To the first, like, 100,000 followers or whatever. I don't remember that. I remember the first million followers, which was uh, Ashton Kutcher and CNN Headline News. God, that's sad. That was the race to a million followers on I re- Twitter. I remember the races to, I remember the race to, like, 
a hundred thousand yeah was like one tech guy versus another, another tech, tech guy, guy. Yeah. <laughs> well so mastodon um is so i'm not i don't use mastodon specifically um i use a different instance because mastodon is decentralized right uh, so anyone can spin up a server and run a Mastodon client on their server mm-hmm. and allow other people to join it. And there, there's it's a de- so it's decentralized. Nobody owns it. And so, but like each one is separate, right? Like you, I can't, I can't be on one instance and follow you on another. You can. Okay, never mind. That's that's the benefit of it being decentralized. You can follow anyone if you know where they are, if you know their username. If you know, it's like knowing their email address. If you know their email address. Because it's a name and it's a two-part. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a handle at name of instance. Gotcha. Uh, so you can follow anyone anywhere, which is really awesome. Yeah. Um, That's you, like Twitter. It's, it's like Twitter. <laughs> um, but because it is not... So first of all, it's it's got two people. It, it, the protocol it's built on is 10 plus years old. It's built on something called GNU Social. Okay. Um and Mastodon is sort of a new client around that using that framework, but it's equally open source. Anyone can make changes to it, make their own version, mm-hmm. make do whatever they want with it. Um, so GNU Social's been around for about ten years. Mastodon's been around for a couple, um, but it is it is decentralized and it is full of really two types of people. Uh, is one of them Nazis? No, one Ooh, of them is not Nazis. Wow. Uh, and I specifically am on an instance that is like anti-nazi and like one of their rules is like no fascists nice um and good so, rule yeah right <laughs> what a crazy idea and so uh the moderator the owner of this instance can kick anyone off that they want um but yeah there's really two types of people on mastodon right now and i'm not gonna neither of this is meant to be a derogatory statement <laughs> um it is full of tech bros and furries <laughs> Oh boy! Um, wow, two groups I'm not interested in. Yeah, well, and and I say that, and I I kind of joke about the furries, but it, it actually it does have a very large uh, queer and trans community. Okay, and amongst those are a number of furries. Like, sure, I, there are definitely furries on my instance because mm-hmm. uh, you can. So there's your home timeline, which is everybody you follow. There's the local timeline, which is all of the toots because they're called toots because that's funny. Yes. <laughs> Because it's a mastodon. Mastodons go toot with their little horn. Well, that's uh toot. Little trumpet. Toot is a like. There's a a subculture of Twitter that calls them toots. Like, oh, that's, cool. That's something that uh in 2007, yeah, Adam Lizagord coined before oh. before like tweet was even the official thing. Yeah, he was like toots. He was like we should call these toots, yeah. but it never. Officially well, on, on mastodon they're called toots. Yeah, uh, like that's the button. You push the button, it says toot. Toot. Uh, which is great. So on your home timeline, you follow, you see everybody you follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the local timeline, you see the feed of everybody on your instance. Yep. So everybody in the same sub network that you are in. Um, and there's the federated timeline, which is everybody who is followed by somebody on your instance. Gotcha. So if if I'm person A, I follow person B, person B follows uh or let's say i follow person b but person b is not on my in, uh, not on my network mm-hmm. everyone on my network can see person b's tweets in the toots in the federated timeline because i follow them everyone can see them nice um and so you can kind of curate you know which groups you want to look at or you just want to look at the people i follow I want to look at my neighborhood is almost how i think of it mm. is like my local timeline it's my instance 
Um, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I feel like, A, the no Nazis thing is great. Yeah. Um, there are some, I'm going to just call them bad instances um, that are like one of them is called shitposter.club. <laughs> um, and those, and that's where like the Nazis went. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and you can block them or not follow them. And if nobody in your instance follows them, you just don't do it. But the moderator of an instance can also block entire other instances. So they don't show up in the federated timeline or, at all. And there's, so there's no one, it's decentralized. So there's no one who can like destroy an instance. Yeah, but you can block it for, everyone can block it and it's gone. Right. So I'm, what I'm, what I thought of is, is this going to develop the Reddit problem of a bunch of subreddits? Because Reddit tries to act as a decentralized thing. Well, so the, here's, thing. here's the difference. And there's a lot of terrible subreddits. But Someone owns Reddit. Right. And you can destroy a subreddit if it's bad. Mm -hmm. But there's no way... Like, you can have a Nazi instance of Mastodon and no one can destroy it. Yeah. But it can be ignored. But you can keep it from being federated. Basically, you give them a little box to go play in and nobody has to but, go look in that box. It's closer to 4chan. Nobody has to go look at 4chan. And nobody's responsible for owning 4chan. Ooh. I mean, well, somebody owns 4chan, but... But... Yeah. But... 4chan infects the rest of the internet. And that's always been the case. That's not right. going to change. But there's... Yeah. It's about controlling MySpace. I can't control the entire internet, but I, I can control... Mastodon. Yeah. It's about <laughs> controlling the world I interact with. Right. And not giving them a platform and not having to be on the same platform that they are on. But if a technology like Mastodon, this decentralized thing, mm -hmm. becomes popular enough and it becomes the new place, mm -hmm. like Twitter... Yeah is slashed soon was yeah um will nazis infect it like will they spread throughout it no because the owners of the instances that they're on that don't want nazis will kick them off is there okay so the other question is will there emerge a like a true instance or like a, a primary instance where like most like the overwhelming majority of people are no. that becomes like the real version of it. No, and the rest are... there will not be a real version. Why? Uh, two things. A, nobody's going to host a server that is that big and can hold that many people because they get slid in. So there's, there's a couple bigger servers, mastodon.social, mastodon.cloud are the two biggest ones because mm -hmm. they both have mastodon in their name. That's the name of the software. Yeah. Um, I'm on one that does not have Mastodon in its server name. And those are, those got really popular very quickly and basically like crashed um, because they, they could not handle the server they were running on could not handle the load of all of that. Because if you were going to be huge, you'd have to be a company the as, size of Twitter, as big as Twitter to operate it. Yes. So a lot of the instances that people are running are supported via, if at all, are supported via like Patreons, where you can give a buck a month to the guy <laughs> who's running it. Wow. And directly support your instance. Huh. And help pay for the server you're on. But if you can't, that's okay too. Like it yeah. doesn't it it doesn't take everybody giving a buck a month for the server to it run. It takes a very small percentage of yeah, people to do like, it. Yeah. Like that's how most Patreons work. Yeah. Um does hmm. 
So there will not be, nor does there need to be a single instance that everything's on because they federate with each other and because no one server is going to become that big that it can take on a million users. Right. Yeah. Unless, like the biggest one I think is like 10,000 users right now. Unless somehow, but like what's the, so what's the advantage of belonging to a certain instance or not? Uh, so there's different things you could do. Um, so I picked one that had a cool name. Like that's, that was my entire thing. Well, it had a cool name and it, I liked the rules of it. Cause there's, you can go to the about page and say like, these are our rules. No Nazis. No Nazis was one of them. I'm into it. Uh, and that helps. And so a lot, some of the instances, I wouldn't say a lot, some of the instances are based around like a theme. There is, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't know about it when I joined, because I don't think it existed when I joined. There is a Star Trek instance ah, nice. uh, called 10 forward dot something. Cause they all have fun TLDs, top right. level domains, right. because <clears throat> that's more fun than like twitter.com. Um, can you move instances you can so you can move instances or you can just open a bunch of accounts on different instances there's nothing to stop you from doing that right but that's that's a hassle right um so actually i have three accounts active right now because i wanted to claim my name on a couple of them so i I have one on mastodon.social because that's the first one i saw yeah someone linked to it and i was like i'm gonna get on this thing i'm gonna try it out just like i did with elo three years ago elo yes remember elo yes yeah, it's still around. I get emails from them occasionally. <laughs> uh, but so I wanted to claim my name. And so I was Mastodon.social. That's the biggest one. I'm just going to join it. and Because I didn't understand what it was at the time. Yeah. And so I have Kevsond at Mastodon.cloud or .social. .social. And I haven't done anything with it. Yeah. And then I have my primary one that I've been using that I really like um, on the instance. That's, that's pretty small. It's got like 240-odd people. Um. Hmm. Maybe maybe 500, less than 500 people on my instance. Um, then there's this 10 forward one. 10 forward is the bar in Star Trek next, The Next Generation. That's why you don't know it. Yeah. Um, and I joined that just because I wanted to have an account on there. I don't know that I would make it my formal one. Yeah. But you can, if you want, export your follower list, the list of everybody you follow, and import it. The trouble is it doesn't bring the people who follow you. Right, obviously. Because you can't force them to follow a different account. That's right. a bad idea. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. Wait, when did I start following all this child porn? Yeah. Like? Uh, so, like, if, if I wanted to switch and make that my main one, I could. Sure. Um, that's nice. Exporting follow, like, follower lists. I did that manually when I switched to Twitter accounts. Yeah, and like, that's a hassle. A couple years ago, yeah. Yeah, but you can say, like, hey, take everyone I'm following, export it to a doc, import it on a different instance and then be following everybody else. Nice. Nice. Um, but like I, so there are people on my local instance that I don't follow, but I kind of keep up with because I follow the local timeline. And so I'll see things. I don't want to see everything they tweet, but I will keep up with them and sort of see what's going on in the local instance. And we'll right. see like memes will kind of arise on a local instance that may or may not federate to everything else. Yeah. That's is, fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm loving it. So I remember back years ago when Twitter had its first round of API mishandling. Yeah. Um, when they pissed off all the third-party developers yeah. and changed the rules and everyone... The was, first time? The first, the first time. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, let's find an alternative to Twitter mm-hmm. because this could go poorly. Yes. And spoiler, it did. <laughs> it went very poorly. Yeah. Um, but there was a... 
I forget what it was called. What was it called? There was an alternative service that gained some popularity. Was it Quitter? No. Because that's that's another uh, GNU social instance. Um, no, it was an entirely new service and it wasn't decentralized oh. like this. It was a, a whole new just kind of... I don't know. Like whole stock Twitter replacement. Um, fuck, it was really popular. Was like, it Peach? All... Was it App.net? <laughs> App.net cool. is what it was. No, Peach. Oh, God, Peach. Peach was so fun for... I never got on Peach. Peach was so fun for 36 hours. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everyone was on Peach. Like, Pete, oh, okay. I've never seen people move to a thing faster than people move to Peach. Yeah. Like, almost every single person who I followed on Twitter all got on Peach within the same, like, six hours. Oh, wow. And all got super active on Peach. And then... I don't even know what Peach was or what it did. And then a day later, stopped. Like, I don't know how Peach worked. It was Twitter and Tumblr combined. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um. But it was like fun because everyone was there and then everyone stopped and then it wasn't fun. And so that's like the whole point is things are fun when the people are there. Mm -hmm. So app.net attracted all the people who care about third-party Twitter clients and Twitter's developer APIs Yeah, because that's the reason it was created because they were mishandling those and destroying those relationships. Yeah. So all these people were like, hey, this part of my Twitter community is doing really great over here on app.net and we're all having a really great time. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly dwindled in its activity because people couldn't leave Twitter completely. Yeah. Well, so there's people who've been on GNU Social for a decade. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That like there's, I don't want to say thriving, but there's functioning social networks that are incredibly small. Mm -hmm. Because, like, part of what makes Twitter work is, like, if I want to follow somebody... Yeah, they're they're there. They're on Twitter to follow. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't have to go find where they are Mm -hmm. on the internet. Yeah. So, like, Mastodon sounds cool, and I've seen a lot of people talking about it, but I haven't... Sarah Jung did an article about it. Yes, this is why I know about it. I was like, oh, Sarah Jung did an article. Jesse will know about this. Because she (laughs) disappeared from Twitter for a week. Yeah. And gave her account to someone else. (laughs) And went to Mastodon for a week. Yeah, well, she's she, still there. I follow her. Yeah, and she came back and she was like, hey, good news. There's no Nazis over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I'd love I'd love to replace Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I'd love for my entire follow list to just switch at From the same what I've time. seen of your follow list, there's a bunch of people there who are probably on Mastodon. Right, but they're still primarily using Twitter. Well, so it's funny. Uh, Leo Laporte, as an example, has basically said on his Mastodon account, that's his primary social media now. Yeah, that's a real Leo Laporte thing to say for a couple months. Yeah. He's well, he, the no, guy. He, he, repl- the he said guy. He, he, he no longer keeps TweetDeck open as his primary tab. <laughs> he keep, he's got his Mastodon open. Um, I mean... I'll give him credit for follow through. He still calls them netcasts. I love that. I love it so much. Right? Like it's great. Maybe he will continue to use Mastodon yeah. forever. I follow him. I like I use Twitter still, but I'm like strongly considering waning myself off of it. Here's the the other side of it is I'd love to have a place where I felt like I had like a community I was involved with on the internet, like a social media thing where I was a participant. Yeah. Because I've only ever been a... Yeah, you're a lurker. A lurker on Twitter. And even more so in the last month, I don't think I've tweeted once. You've you've retweeted some of these podcast episodes. I retweet the podcast tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't... and And it's not that I'm like... Like I used to... I used to like act like 
lurk on purpose because mm-hmm. I was anonymous. Yes. But now I'm just like, I don't have anything to say to Twitter. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't, there's no I don't conversations. Have to to, I, I don't have anything to, to say to Mastodon, but I keep doing it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But are you, are you like, like meeting people, quote unquote, or mm-hmm. are you like getting to know others? Um, a little bit. Community? So I've, I've never been great at like adding a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. but I've got people who follow me and like we, we boost each other's toots. Yeah. That's what we call retweeting. Oh yeah, that's it's the other question. Like, toot. how many features does it just wholesale copy from Twitter? Uh, a couple. Yeah. So faves and boosts. Although there's stars, not hearts, because that's so much better. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Listen, if I can start giving people star points again, yeah, that's what I call them. I give them star yeah. points. I hate seeing that red heart. I want to give you a star point. Cool. Well, jump on. Jump on. Okay, I'm gonna join Mastodon and I'm gonna start giving you star yeah, points. Yeah, find yourself a good instance. Cool. Um. I'll, I'll tell you off air what mine is. I don't know that I want to go public with it yet. Okay. But I'll I'll tell you. Because. I mean, it's it's easy to find because it's a picture of me and it's my standard handle. Ah, uh, but so if I, like, I know your standard handle for stuff, but yeah. I'd have to go find the instance nope. you're in. You can actually just search for my handle and it'll show you, and it'll show you all the people that have that handle. In any instance. In any instance. Okay. Well, any instance that you are federated with, I think is the key. So can you, can you create an instance and not federate with the rest of the mm-hmm. group yeah absolutely so you, you can, can have like a completely siloed instance that's just people which is what i've wanted for decades is i'd want i've wanted to be able to have a social network that was people i know that was invite only that we could go hang out on mm. like that's a thing i've wanted like i'm not going to spool up a mastodon instance right now but i could fairly easily right buy some hosted space and run a super small Mastodon instance that's close to anybody I don't want to access with no additional federation. Why not just create a Slack channel? Because someone owns Slack. Okay, so the whole the whole purpose is it's owned and controlled by yeah, you. Yeah, it's because it's a protocol like email. Right, right. It's not a service. Yes, I could make a, a Slack channel, and I thought about it, like or a Discord uh, server. Like yeah. I thought about running one of those. Well, that's where you get the the Twitter problem where all of a sudden they change their API rules and you can't yeah. interact with the service that they own and control mm-hmm. in the way that you used to. But I can I can theoretically run my own Mastodon server. Hmm. So the the problem with this is oh boy, I'm about to give Twitter way more credit than it deserves. But like Twitter release is a company mm-hmm. that has a lot of money mm-hmm. and they and is dumping it in the toilet and they dump it into the toilet by investing in feature development. Mm-hmm. Those features are bad, mm-hmm. but like ostensibly they're yeah, developing. Let's, let's talk about the new at system, right? Ostensibly they're <laughs> developing new features and they're paying developers to work on this and to mm-hmm. make their service better. Yeah. Right. How does Mastodon get better? better how has linux gotten better over the last decade it hasn't yeah it has (laughs) there are people working on new instances or new versions of linux all the time there are communities of developers who like making open source tools and continuing to improve them ubuntu gets a new release every year red hat gets stuff all the time right but those are yeah so i mean this is where you come to the fundamental like difference on principle between open and closed source yes. software is like, like great example is Apple. Like I enjoy and use and mm-hmm. want to purchase Apple's 
tools and software mm-hmm. because I a correspond with their taste yeah and i trust them to do things that will that i will like yeah and that i will enjoy using but like the people who like to create and maintain and improve open source software are a particular kind of person and usually don't correspond to my taste that's less true than you think at least in terms of mastodon so, okay. uh, first of all, a number of the uh, community of developers that are working on Mastodon right now, um, of whom I follow some, a bunch of them are trans and queer people of color. Really? Well, a few of them are people of color, but a lot of them are trans and queer. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. And what one of the things that has done in addition to like having a community space where they're accepted and like welcomed instead of shunned and, you know, have terrible things yelled at them. Yeah. Is one of the core features of Mastodon is a built-in content warning system. Built into the, the, um, like the service, the service or, yeah. yeah. So you can, um, you can just make a toot and put all your words in a picture or two in it. Um, but you can also, if you want to hide your toot, by the way, 500 character limit, not 140, because that's an arbitrary limit that doesn't mean anything, and 500 is way better. Um, <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that, but it's fine. Well, I think 140 character limit is the smartest thing that Twitter ever did. But 500 is not that much worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's say you want to talk about something that is important to you, uh, but you want to make sure that other people... Even those who follow you, rather than just looking at the federated timeline or the local timeline, don't want to see something they don't want to see. Sure. Uh, which is all content warnings are for, is allow people to not have to deal with stuff they don't want to deal with. Right. Finding the right audience and not pissing people off. Um, you can put a content warning on it with a heading and say like, hey, this is about um, an abusive relationship. If you right. want to read more, click this button and read the full toot. If not, just don't. Right. You're but that's, that's a core feature. Of Mastodon. That's awesome. Twitter doesn't have that. And Twitter's throwing all the money they can down the toilet. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm thinking of the... You're you're giving way too much benefit to the idea of capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I know. (laughs) But I'm... Yeah, I'm imagining the idealized version of a company who successfully runs a service for the benefit of their users. Right, like good a, luck. <laughs> a, a company, a company that is owned, or like a development team that is run by people with good taste and great skill, and choose the correct features to work on and implement them. I feel like can be more effective at that than open source software. But a lot of open source software works just fine. Like, right but works just fine is not a high bar right that's the same reason why i like mac os instead of ubuntu yeah like mac os is a thing that people although ubuntu has gotten pretty nice lately right like it's, <laughs> it's it's fine yeah but like mac os is something that hundreds of millions of dollars has been poured into over yeah an enormous amount of time and ubuntu is things that people work on as an open source project mm-hmm. and they do an amazing thing but like there's like there's a difference, yeah. right? And app and Apple is almost like a miraculous exemption yes. from <laughs> the rest of the software world in that it's been uniquely capable of protecting its software development. Yeah, but you're always on that edge. Right. Like and but there's a trust. Final cut ten. Right? Like I exactly. Like if I was a fi- new pages. 
I like pages. It was better before. <laughs> sure. But like I, right. Like Apple could just start making decisions I hated. Yeah. Right. If someone started making decisions you hated with Mastodon, you just create a new version of Mastodon. Mm-hmm. Right? Or find someone who does, who did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. But like the whole thing hinges on like, it's the kind of service where aside from those like hyper local, small, like mm-hmm. private social networks, like I want, I, I like Twitter because Twitter is Twitter and everyone in the world is on Twitter. I, and if we're going to switch from that, like we all need to switch from mm-hmm. it. Right. Like Mastodon might be fun for me to like go check out and give people star points for a little bit, but yeah. like, like you need it needs to turn into something where like i unlock my phone and the first thing i tap is the mastodon app not tweetbot uh, there is actually a mastodon app so that's cool although i primarily use the web interface but if i open a uh, new tab you know how um like it says like these are the websites you go to the most yep that's my mastodon instance <laughs> <laughs> it's up there no it's the first one all those yeah. are the, the favorites i never deleted um i like if Tapbots makes a Mastodon, I don't know what Tapbot. Oh, it, the, the the company the, that makes yeah, Tweetbot. Yeah, if they make a Mastodon app, like that'd be nice. I'm there. Yeah, there is there is one Mastodon app that I that people talk about, but I, the web interface is fine. Like I've not had any problems with it. Yeah, you're saying fine a lot, and that's usually not a high enough bar for me. But again, so the the things that I love about Mastodon are the way it makes me feel like I did on Twitter in its early days. Yes. That is a magical. And that's, that's hard to replicate. Yeah. Do you know, is there a way of knowing how many users are using this service on any given instance? Yes. But not as in a, not an aggregate. I mean, there are some instance trackers where you can go there. You're just trying to list all the instances they can find. Right. You can just spider them all. And you can just see, you know, this one's got 10,000. This one's got 20, you know? Yeah. And sort of what that is. But we're, we, I don't think it's broken a million users yet. But were you on Twitter back before it had a million users? Because mm-hmm. it was nice. I was pre a million, yeah. It was a nice environment. Yeah. I actually want to go see what my Twitter number is now. Because um, you can see that on your user page. Yeah. I mean, like now I'm like user 30 well, million. Well, yeah, you've, you've, I'm, I'm user 14 million. So I'm wow. actually, I'm not pre million, but. Wow. Um, March 2008 so almost 10 years ago yeah I was I was sometime in 2007 I think yeah um yeah I mean that's a it it was a magical feeling yeah right and like it it was easy because my my corner of the internet was the corner that all went to Twitter early Mm -hmm. like I don't care about all the normal culture that's on Twitter so much like I could just completely do without sports Twitter yeah you know what I mean yeah but like tech and media Twitter, we're all there pretty early. So yeah, if they're all there on Mastodon pretty early, it it might work. Like I I think there's a chance to do it. Now there's also been like a bunch of articles on like Wired or The Verge or something on like why Mastodon's terrible by people who don't understand Mastodon. (laughs) Uh, But they're dumb. So yeah, like what it needs to be a good, like for me, it needs to be a good product because at least with Tweetbot, Mm -hmm. Twitter's still a good product. Yeah. But think of all the work you have to put into making it a good product. Yeah, true. Like I've I've blocked some people on Mastodon. Like if I see someone in the in the federated timeline, I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. nope. <laughs> uh, but uh, generally, like I'm happy with it. Yeah. Uh, hey, Trump doesn't have a Mastodon account, does he? There is a someone pretending to be Donald Trump on Mastodon. 
but they're only tweeting like super nice things or tweeting super <laughs> nice things. They're just they're just called at real Donald Trump. That's nice. At whatever instance they're on. Yeah. And they've got his same picture, but it's all like super nice things. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm I'll I'll create a user account and check yeah. it out. Oh man, I just wish it was stars again. Come to There's Mastodon. like five things Twitter needs to do. And it get would rid of the Nazis. Be amazing. Block Donald Trump. Block Donald Trump. Bring back stars instead of hearts. Get rid of the Nazis. Get rid of the Nazis. Um, fix at adding people. Fix adding people and fix the in band out of band attachment stuff. Like make adding people out of band, but don't let it do all the weird disappearing nonsense. <laughs> like make long text posts it, like possible yeah. out of band of the 140 character limit. Yeah. Like the way that like attach a photo without the photo URL being in yeah. band. Like God, Twitter come to Mastodon. There's like a thousand developers like working at Twitter or something. And they can't make anything better. And you need like five. Yeah. I think Mastodon's got five. <laughs> and they're all queer, right? Uh, a number of them are. <laughs> like, there is a non-zero number of them. That's great. Yeah. Um, I I remember seeing something that is just absolutely heart-wrenchingly painful to accept. Yeah. Um, But you know how, like, open source communities are usually fairly hostile towards women? Yes. Um, they very often can be. And it creates this, you know, and because women don't feel welcome, they don't participate as much. Yeah. It's a self-perpetuating problem. Mm -hmm. um, and it creates the stereotype that women aren't good at coding and yeah, don't which is wrong. do this <laughs> and all that stuff. But if you actually like blind, uh, like do code checks. Yeah. Like blind it out and stuff and do code evaluations and whatnot. Like yeah. people rate women's contributions to open source projects more highly than men's hmm. but only when they don't know, know that, that it's from women. a woman yeah doesn't surprise me like isn't like that like that's that was, a problem that yeah. was genuinely mind-blowing to me because yeah. my mind that was in a place where i was like well i know women are can be just as good at coding as the rest but of them are, but, they, but are they doing it they're but not doing but it. they're not doing it yeah. because they're not welcome in those communities yeah. so they're probably worse overall because they don't have the collective experience as men but no yeah. they they are they're still they're better they're great yeah even with all of the roadblocks yeah. they're still better that doesn't surprise me <sighs> yeah you should get on mastodon i'm gonna check it I'll out i'll follow you it's yeah. fun the old minor planet going on over yeah there. Maybe I'll toot stuff. You should toot stuff. I toot stuff. Like I'm, I toot, I toot little things. I toot big things. Like I, I toot all sorts of. I miss stuff. tooting. I do. Mastodon seems pretty cool. That was a very good transition. You I went, was, I was real proud of that. We were one. talking about having sex with dinosaurs in, in space. space, and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, and you brought it over to new open source social network platforms. Yeah, I felt really good about that one. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Would you have sex with a mastodon in space? I mean, if it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay there we go 